Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to WikiPolitiki, a show designed to bring right and left, front and center, to turn the funk into function and leave the junk at the junction. At a time when so much political discourse is heat without light, Wiki Politiki shines the light of love and truth on the endarkened corridors of power and then brings leading solutionaries into conversation to light the way forward together. Your host is Steve Behrman, author, comedian, and political and spiritual uncommentator. You might know Steve as his cosmic comic alter ego, Swami Beyond Ananda, or as the author of a more serious book with cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, Spontaneous Evolution. If you recognize that crisis precipitates evolution, and judging by the current crises, the chances of precipitation are 100%, this show is for you. Welcome to the Evolutionary Upwising. Now, here is your host, Steve Behrman. Well, hello, and welcome to WikiPolitiki Conversations for Co-Creation, where we shed light on the undarkened corridors of power, and we shine light ahead of us to where evolution is leading. The purpose of WikiPolitiki is to bring left and right front and center, to face the music and dance together, to address problems instead of merely defending positions. Today's show is about the future, or more specifically, a future worth living into. If you remember the Zeitgeist movie from about a dozen years ago, then the name Jock Fresco will seem familiar to you. Fresco, who is featured in the documentary, was a visionary futurist and designer dedicated to, quote, a peaceful and sustainable global civilization. Jacques Fresco died in 2017 at the age of 101. And his work of heart, The Venus Project, lives on as the subject of a new documentary film, which we'll link to, called A World Worth Imagining, Jacques Fresco, The Man with the Plan. We're pleased to welcome as our guest on WikiPolitiki this week, Jacques Fresco's partner and co-founder of The Venus Project, Roxanne Meadows. Along with Jacques Fresco, Ms. Meadows has also been featured in radio, television and documentaries, film festivals. She's been interviewed or featured on Futurism.com, Bloomberg, New York Times, Huffington Post, Houston Chronicle, Miami Herald, Philadelphia Tribune, The Times of India, Herald de Paris, Horizon, BBC Two, on and on, GQ Italy as well. She and Jacques Fresco have presented at conferences and seminars throughout the U.S. and in 27 countries around the world. As president and founder of Architectural Arts Incorporated, Roxanne Meadows' clients have included the Disney Development Corporation, Trump Towers Tampa, the Lutgard Companies, Westinghouse, and Santhia Staben and Associates Architect. She has also taught technical and fine arts and has worked as a professional computer animator. Oh, and she's also a licensed private pilot. So we may not talk about that last piece, but 
Welcome, Roxanne. It's a pleasure to have you to talk about the Venus Project and the world that uh, Jacques Fresco envisions. So welcome. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm pleased to be here. Good. Well, let's just begin with the most general question first. Who uh, was Jacques Fresco, and uh, what is the Venus Project? Well, <laughs> who Jacques was is hard <laughs> to pin down, but he always called himself a social engineer, first and foremost. Um, that was the most important aspect of his work. Why I said it's hard to pin down, because he was a multidisciplinarian. He designed speedboats that won races. He designed aircrafts that were built for Northrop and for the military, because he was drafted. He, um, he worked with drug addicts and alcoholics to change them. He worked with the Klan to see if his, um, his theories in behavior could change people around, and he broke up the Klan group of 32 people in Miami within a couple of months through different processes that were very interesting. He designed first prefabricated house after World War II. Um, he designed 3D TV without glasses many years ago, um, and the list goes on. <laughs> he designed a three-wheeled car. He was the first one to do the airbag, but his airbag was a membrane throughout the entire car um, because you don't hit in the front and the back. So, and the engine was in the three wheels. Um, they, they were just an endless list of what he did. When I met him, he was designing medical devices for surgeons. So he made his, he made his uh, living, quote unquote, as a designer. He was hired in various projects to do designs. And the Venus Project is something that is his uh, work, work of heart, I guess. Um, well, you know, after designing hundreds of medical devices, he realized that only a few wealthy people could take advantage of them in the United States. Working, he worked with drug addicts and alcoholics and changed them, but he, he really wasn't concerned whether they got off of drugs. He wanted to give them a social concern to make the world better, and he did. But he realized for every one that he got off of drugs, if that's what they wanted, the social system would produce thousands more <laughs> because it is so stressful. I always say if people didn't overdrink, overeat, um, overdo pills, then many of them would probably have a nervous breakdown. So, um, you know, he, he realized that it wasn't a new product or a new building. You know, when people would come to him and say, can you design a building that takes care of its own, produces its own energy, cleans its own water, and grows its own food? He would always say, I'm not interested in a monument to my own ego. I'm interested in social change. <clears throat> so there was a point when he realized that it's not a product, it's not clean sources of energy, it's not total systems total city systems, which he did design, it's a combination of all those that have to be incorporated, and more, that have to be incorporated into a new social design where, um, 
where people could really thrive and inventors could create without the limitations of money. And everything that they create goes right back into the system so everybody could take advantage of it. You know, that's uh, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I've been thinking for a long time that really what's required is systemic change, and so many of the remedies are just right around the edges. Tell us more about his vision for um, for what this uh, what this society would look like, where everybody thrives. How how would it work, and and how would we replace what we now use as money? What would what would what's the uh, what would we be doing instead? Sure. And um, first, I just want to mention that, like you say, a global change, <coughs> excuse me, is very necessary because we all have threats in this culture that this culture is not dealing with, overpopulation, energy shortage, global warming, um, water scarcity, and, and technological dis- displacement of people by machines. And there's a lot of catastrophes that are ahead that are happening now. We're in the process of, of um, kind of dying empire, but we're not working on a fix. And what people try to do, for instance, the environmentalists might get together and get a lot of money and buy a huge plot of land to stay pristine and preserve the forest, and a new president can come in and you see loggers on that land and you see clear-cutting. And, you know, there is no security in this system, and we feel it is this system, the free enterprise system or the monetary system, because all systems throughout the the world, whether it's communism, socialism, fascism, whatever, they use money. And it's this money system that creates the values that we live under. All nations give their, their people a certain value system to support that system. Otherwise, they couldn't get people to go to war for them. So no matter what you do within if you're still working to try and fix different aspects of this system, we feel you're doing patchwork, and it won't change anything. Even if you elected the most ethical people to government and there is scarcity, you will have lying, cheating, stealing, corruption. Money causes corruption, and scarcity causes corruption. So we don't have enough money to feed and house everybody on the planet. And Jacques' plans were global. But we do have enough resources. If we go to what Jacques arrived at as a resource-based economy, where, you know, we have, (laughs) I'll put it this way, our social systems are very, very old. The use of money is old. Our traditions are old. Our behaviors are old because we still live under the same social systems. But our technology is accelerating exponentially, and our social systems haven't kept up with our ability to produce abundance so everyone can have a high standard of living. And this is what Jacques lays out a culture where there is no money. We don't need money. We need means of production 
production and distribution, efficient means of production and distribution. So considering this, Jacques was technical, and he backed this up technically as to what clean sources of energy would be, what efficient transportation would be, total city system design, because he felt that we couldn't maintain these old cities and still provide uh, food, housing, clothing, a, a high standard of living for everyone, medical care, the ability to pursue their high, people's highest potential for everyone on the planet. So this really is a technical issue, an engineering issue, to be able to f provide those things to everyone. Yeah, and and of course, um, you know, a lot of people um, have said that we actually have uh, the resource. My my friend and associate Timothy Nobles is publishing a book uh, coming up called uh, More Than Enough, which really indicates that um, by adopting uh, the golden rule over the rule of gold and having a global-wide consensus that this is what we want, we would very easily be able to provide for everybody because we wouldn't be using our, our resources in wasteful ways like we are now with planned obsolescence, and we wouldn't be using... 75% of what we have to arm ourselves and guard ourselves against other other healthy human beings. So uh, it's a big, big order to go from where we are now to what you're talking about. And, and the question is, given that people even have a hard time imagining things being a little better, how do you deal with the imagination gap uh, to where uh, a critical mass of the heretofore uncritical masses say, uh, it may sound utopian, but it sounds healthy to me. How do we get there? How do we bridge that um, that psychological gap where we really keep spinning around in the same um, the same circles rather than emerge to a, a a higher order of doing things? Well. First of all, I want to address that notion that people use that you mentioned that this is just utopian. And they use that to just dismiss things. But to us, there is no such thing as utopia. This is far better than what we have today. But it's just the beginning of the next steps. We really live in the tail end of the Middle Ages right now. Um, so. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To bridge the, the difference 
education. People are really not not intellectually or emotionally well informed to be able to sit back and evaluate, well, what do we have to do? Where do we where do we go? What are the root causes of our problems in the first place? They blame the individual. It's very convenient in this culture to blame the individual and put them in jail, say they're not smart enough, they didn't try hard enough, they um they it's their fault, you know, and that's just not true. It's the environment and the education that that has failed people, and that would not be – and we think that behavior is perfectly lawful. So if we set up an environment that enables people to understand what's going on, to be creative, to be inventive, that it's not a matter of talent that that – or, or being able to draw, for instance, is not a matter of talent. It's really how we approach the problem and how we teach. Everybody can draw. So we cut people very short. Um, the bridge is a difficult one. And a lot of times it's not just that people can get up and talk about a better way. And, and I want to mention this, too, that I think we're really lucky that Jacques started working on this when he was 13 or 14. He was born in 1916 when there were still horse-drawn fire engines in the streets of New York City, and that's where he saw the Great Depression, and he saw people being thrown out in the streets and being fed by bread lines, and um, there were still things in the store windows and still arable land, but they weren't growing food, and everything just stopped because people didn't have money in their pockets. And he realized that it was the rules of the game, what we just made up, that were so detrimental to people that they go through these booms and busts every four to seven years, and we're due for another one really soon. And um, so he spent his lifetime arriving and exploring and coming up with an alternative socioeconomic system and people are beginning to think now that, oh, maybe this system isn't working. Maybe capitalism isn't working. And what we kind of have to wait for, what I'm getting at, is you really have to wait for the biosocial pressures or the, what we call the march of events in society when people kind of fall flat on their faces. They are so involved in having to make a living and taking care of themselves and their family or their extended family, that, and they don't get other information. It's very difficult to get other information on alternative socioeconomic systems. Um, it's not allowed on corporate news even or on the news. That's why you didn't hear about Jacques until the Internet came about, where people made documentaries about him, and then it kind of went viral. So... What? You have to kind of wait till one scenario is when enough people, when technology displaces people and they don't have the purchasing power to buy the goods turned out. Then when they lose their homes, they lose confidence in their elected leaders to take care of their problems, they lose the ability for their kids to go to school, then they get angry. 
but they have to be shown. Good. Well, we're going to be back after this little break and talk more about that. That's a very interesting, controversial idea that we need to actually have a breakdown before we have a breakthrough. This is Steve Behrman. I'm talking with Roxanne Meadows from Venus Project on Wikipolitiki. We'll be back after these messages. Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Om Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. More than 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder, and that number continues to grow. I'm Sharon Saylor, and I'm one of those 24 million. To put that number in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. That's why I've brought together top experts and those thriving regardless of their diagnosis to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information. Join me, Sharon Saylor, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, for the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio to find out how to live your life uninterrupted. Are you done with the daily barrage of negativity? Ready for some positivity? Creations Magazine has been inspiring the soul for over 30 years, delivering thought-provoking and solution-driven articles, essays, and poetry that inspire you to enjoy a vibrant life. Holistic health, personal and spiritual growth, relationships, the environment, and so much more. Read us online or order a subscription, creationsmagazine.com. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wound, sir? 911, what's your emergency? Please, my son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Okay, Steve Behrman, I'm back with Roxanne Meadows, and we're talking about the Venus Project. And before we get back to the, to the contention about uh, things are really going to have to get to the point of almost collapse before people wake up to these other possibilities, I want to go backward a little bit into how you met Jacques and how you became in, uh, involved in the Venus Project. Uh, how did that How did that come about? Well, Jacques used to lecture about four nights a week in his home in Coral Gables, Florida, um, I think starting in the 50s or maybe even earlier than that. But I was working somewhere, and somebody approached me with some of his lectures on tape, and I listened to them. And he, and he also approached me with some of the designs that Jacques had that sounded fascinating, even as simple, and this is before Velcro. Um, he came up with something like that by biomimicry. He he felt that, you know, nature was at it for a long time and it solved most of the problems. We have to be able to read it. And he talked about boots that just snapped together because he got the ideas from burrs sticking to your clothes. 
and um, how pants, well, I'll tell you where that came about, because I think it's an interesting story. But he was in the military, he was drafted, and he was in the Navy, and he saw how, you know, they used to have millions of buttons, over-exaggerating a bit, to button up their pants, and lots of laces to button up their boots. And he thought if, you know, by the time the, the military personnel have to do all that and they have to get up on deck to put out a fire, it, it's a catastrophe. So he came up with, with being able, with essentially Velcro, being able to just snap your boots together and just snap up your pants so you can get right on deck. And he talked to the higher-ups in the military about it. And they said, you forgot one thing, son. He said, what, what is that? Tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so the military was very difficult for Jacques. Um, so, you know, that, that, I thought that was a fascinating story that this person told me when he was describing some of the designs that Jacques had. And then when I listened to his lectures, that did it. So um, I was en route on a cruise ship at that time working on one and when I hit the port of Miami I got off and went to his lectures and stayed. <laughs> ah. Now you were a designer architect before is that what your training was? An architect? No, actually I was into fine arts which mm -hmm. I went to a couple of very good prestigious fine arts schools which equipped me for absolutely nothing. <laughs> and they <laughs> They thought that, well, either you had it or you didn't, because as far as I saw, they really didn't know how to teach it. And that was another thing that really amazed me with Jacques' work. When I saw his work, I thought, wow, this is the way I want to learn how to draw. And so I rented a room in his place, and actually anyone who rented rooms from him, they and, and the people that came to his lectures, he taught them how to do technical illustration and taught them how that relates to fine arts. And so I was very interested, and I worked at it very hard and learned how to do cutaways of airplanes on his designs, which made it interesting, learned how to do blueprints. And um, so because of that training from him, and I learned how to do architectural models on his models, and. So I, I started a business doing architectural renderings and models and design from that, and uh, was very successful for many years until 2008 crash when all of the architects and developers just died in this area, in many areas. So that's how that came about. Interesting. Uh, and and then you and he became connected as partners. Or were you married? Did you were you married? Married, I always said I was as good as or better than married. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this person with the white collar you go to and you pay some money and they say, okay, you can sleep with this person <laughs> or, or you are man and wife. Oh, okay. And then who is this other person when you don't get along that you have to go to and pay more money to who you don't know and say, okay, you can separate now. <laughs> you know, that's the lawyer. So... You know, you're really as close as your value, and um, we shared many values together, and we worked very hard together, and um, it worked quite well. Yeah, you know, it's like the old Joni Mitchell song. We don't need no damn paper from the city hall. You know, it's a, you, you actually had your 
had your had your own thing. Now, um, tell us more about the the Venus Project and your center there. Um, people can come; they can visit. What do they What do they experience when when they when they come visit? Great. Yes, Jacques and I purchased uh, ten acres, which grew to twenty one acres, um, and we came here to. I can put it this way. Since I knew Jacques for 40 years, 41 years, he he designed and he drew over 5,500 design sketches to help people understand this direction and different products and what what this future would look like. Um, and, and we actually built 400 scale models and filmed them. This was before computer animation. <laughs> and since mm-hmm. Jacques also worked in in the movie studio i mean in the yes movie industry doing special effects for movies um we made hundreds of models and filmed them with all sorts of different effects and how to make them move and it was quite fascinating to learn and how to film and how to photograph them and paint the sky background and make carve the rocks and put put simulated water in there and took them with dramatic lighting so they looked huge, these buildings and total cities and, and many other transportation, energy systems, many other things when we made documentaries, and then we filmed that. So um, here at the center we have those models, those scale models, and we experimented with ten buildings of his designs. Um, I actually mixed the concrete and trowelled it on because we, at the time we didn't take out any loans. We didn't have any backers. We just held outside jobs, like I did architectural renderings and models, and um, did quite well at it at the time and put the money into this project. Um, so... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a very beautiful visual place. Jacques had an island in the in the Exumas that he wanted to buy, um, kind of after the project in Miami that we, you know, his having his home in Miami and lecturing and doing other things down there, he wanted to buy this beautiful island and it was eight hundred thousand dollars and we couldn't afford it so we settled for a thousand an acre in venus florida which is kind of old pristine beautiful florida and we planted hundreds of palm trees and fruit trees and there was no water on the land and and we excavated streams and ponds and built really 
um, elegant, I think, bridges his designs. And you can see all this on the venusproject.com under About and Visit the Venus Project. So we hold tours, seminars, you know, slash seminars. It's not just a tour, but I speak for several hours on this project and help people put it together and introduce them to it. And we walk around the grounds and go into the buildings, and I describe them. Um, we, they are, we live in hurricane country, so they are essentially as hurricane-proof as you're going to get. Jack always wanted to have a huge hurricane come through our land and test them out. <laughs> and <laughs> I found it kind of horrifying. And two years after he died, this happened. But even worse than the hurricane, we had tornadoes that came through the land, and we lost half of our trees, but the buildings withstood it all because in his experimentation, the buildings are concrete and steel, and they are dome shape and free-form curvilinear shape because that's very strong. There's no roof to blow off. And the main concern, too, if you're designing to house everybody on the planet, you really can't do it as a hand-tooled process. They're designed to be pulled off molds, although we couldn't afford a mold at the time. But it's, the domes use the least amount of material to cover the most space. And um, there's no roof to blow off because it's just one structure bolted right into the slab. They get stronger with age. You don't need, in Florida, you have to put a bags over, a tents, excuse me, over buildings, and then they pump poisons in there if the buildings are, are wooden because they have trouble with termites just eating the wood <laughs> right from the inside. And you don't have to do that. Termites would break their little mandibles on concrete and steel, and so they get stronger with age. They're fire, about as fireproof as you can get. We built with no rugs, no curtains, no wood. So in a couple of the buildings, this is considered wetlands, 100-year flood areas, which I was unaware of before we moved here, and there was a big surprise. So. Uh, some of the buildings did get flooded for the first time in 40 years when we were here, but um, there was no drywall, as I mentioned, none of the other materials that would get damaged with with water. So we just cleaned them right out with a wet vac and Clorox, and there was amazing. As good as uh, new. We've been hearing here because we're in California. We've been hearing here that domes uh, are uh, are not susceptible to fire because. Uh, fires just tend to go right over them. Um, interesting that it's also um, the best use of uh, square footage uh, yes. for for the material. So, so again, it sounds like uh, I, I've not been there, but I've watched the videos and so on, and and the excellent documentary that uh, Evan Hirsch uh, uh, put together. Um, so, in a certain regard, the um, these models and these actual buildings are designed to um, spur imagination and help people see the possibilities. Now, I want to go back to something that you talked about before the first break, and that was that, um, that your sense is that people are not going to really change uh, and really see this uh, for what it is until pretty much everything else uh, is taken away from them. Could you 
is that am I misrepresenting what you said? Um, no, and and other things that a lot of times throughout history, the bottom had to fall out before people are pushed to change. Um, you know, as long as they can feed their families and as long as they can pay the mortgages, no matter how hard their life might be and how many jobs they might have to have to do that, um, there really is not much time to sit around and think about social alternatives if you haven't been introduced to them. And, you know, you, you go to work five days a week and some people it's more than that. And then on Saturdays you have to do your chores. On Sundays you watch the football games and go to church, and uh, it keeps people very busy, <laughs> so they don't have much time to search out other things and exhausted. So, um, but what we are trying to do is, um, with that's why we're so grateful for for Evan and Kip's new film, you know, Soul Documentary, a world worth imagining. Um, is to produce more books and videos and information. We're working on a transmedia project. We our our website. We have many. We have free documentaries on it. We have free books. Uh, a lot of information to introduce people to this new direction. Um, and that's what the models are for too. To visually show what the alternative could look like. Um, just you know what we're really missing in society that it can be much better and we can use our our science and technology toward human betterment and the protection of the environment that's that's the whole criteria for a resource-based economy instead of today's free enterprise system or the monetary system where it's wealth property and power and the bottom line is profit at any cost and um, the cost is great, what's happening now. And, you know, as long as few nations control most of the Earth's resources, we're going to have trouble. And, and those who have um, are not going to step out willingly. They'll probably go down with it. <laughs> you know, if you have a society where goods and services are available and it, and no money, you don't need bankers, you don't need lawyers, you don't need stockbrokers, you don't need advertisers. You need people who are working on cleaning up the mess that we've produced in this culture and working on sustainability. That's what the education would be about, to help promote a resource-based economy, which means a higher standard of living for everyone equitably. Um, if you neglect anyone, that's, those are the problems you're going to have. So you're a good port of, portion of the new city designs are research centers. So what's produced goes back into the city. So you're happy to see people. You have no vultures out there that are, <laughs> are just, you know, we're all, we're all chiseling off of one another to feed our own guts and take care of ourselves. And we don't have to live that way anymore. You know, most people, if you get a toothache, somebody gets a lot of money off of your misery. If you get cancer, a lot of people gain a lot of profit. So um, this is not a way we need to live. And without the money system and without the profit system and without the notions, you know, <laughs> We're not born with bigotry and racism and nationalism and jealousy and superstition and greed and self-centeredness. We acquire that 
from the cultures that we're raised in. So people feel that, oh, we can't do this because of human nature. I thought it was amazing when people come to Jacques in the past and said, this is wonderful, but you forgot one thing. In 80 years of studying and working on this technically and, and learning about human behavior and how we acquire our behavior and how it can be changed by testing it with people and, you know, uh, and they say human behavior. They just mimic that. It's like they, they've done a study of human behavior for years, and they don't. They just repeat the words that are given them. So there really is no such thing as human nature. There's human behavior, and that's always changing. Otherwise, we'd still be in caves or roaming, roaming the deserts. So um, everything we learn are byproducts of the culture that we're exposed to. And, and so if you don't change the culture, you won't change the behavior. Good. Our culture is formed on on the use of money, mostly. Our behavior, you know, the more greedy you are, the more you're rewarded. You're more, you know, the more money you have, the more you're admired. The values are so screwed up. The more you get, and in the future, there won't even be within a resource-based economy. There won't even be Nobel Prize winners. Because people will understand that you, your research and what you come up with is based on the backs of many other people who have worked before you, and it's serially, serially developed. And so it's just like learning how to fly. Many people died before the Wright brothers flew, and, and they even based their design on Otto Lilienthal, an engineer who admired birds in the late 1800s and wrote the first book on aerodynamics. And he flew, he, he strapped wings on his arms, and of course they look like bird wings. And he wasn't the first to do it, but he was the first one to do it successfully. And he made 2,500 flights about until he died in a flight. <laughs> and um, so, you know, the Wright brothers are called the father of flight. There isn't the father of anything. Many people die. I want to stop you right there because we have to take a break, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about changing human behavior. Steve Behrman, this is Wikipolitiki. We'll be right back with Roxanne Meadow. mind with Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose, to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free, ascendinghearts.com. The student asks the teacher, how do I experience transformation? The teacher replies, when the student is ready to receive deeper answers, the student then asks, how do I know what deeper questions to ask? 
And the teacher replies, when the student decides to commit to a practice inviting transformation, level two questions will be revealed. Hi, I'm Tomas Garza, and as a teacher and host, I'm inviting listeners to enroll in the mastery of transformation by joining me on Decide to Transform, your bridge to level two answers. Tuesdays, 1 p.m. Eastern on Ohm Times Radio. The Shift Network, presenting transformative programs and events to help you waken to your full potential so that together we can build the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Our classes support you in finding and cultivating your gifts and in bringing those gifts to the world to create tangible change and connect us as global citizens. Go to theshiftnetwork.com or follow the link on the WikiPolitiki sponsors page. Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live it. Because in 31 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. Well, this is Steve Behrman. We're back with Roxanne Meadows. We're talking about Jacques Fresco, and we're talking about the Venus Project. And uh, it's really challenging to uh, condense 101 years of living, uh, particularly living at the level that he did, into a short, very short hour. But I think there there was something that you said very early on the interview that I want to pick up on because it may hold a clue to his insights about how we do change human behavior. Um, You mentioned that he was able to dismantle a clan cluster, is that the right name? A, cl- a cluster of Klansmen? Um, in Florida, do you, do you know how that happened? And can you tell us a story about that? Absolutely, I do. It's a longer story. Um, but I guess just briefly, um, he did it through trying to educate them with different things. I, I'll, I'll see how far I can get, how much time I have. But he, he made a film called The Immaculate Pig, and um, where the pig um, cleaned up the paper. He trained a pig how to do this. I won't go into how, but I do do it on the tours. But he trained a pig to pick up paper and put it in a waste basket, and there was a little sign, um, put waste here. He trained the pig within a smaller cage. It was a smaller pig. And um, to take a shower, he rigged up something between the two little domes that the pig lived in that would... um, that would disperse water as the pig walked back and forth. And first he, he, he put little bamboos around um, within a rubber hose, you know, a big arch shape, and the pig went back and forth because they like it, pigs like their back scratch. And when he um, did that, water and soapy water would come out. And then he taught the pig how to make his bed. He des- designed a bed that the pig would turn a turnstile and it would change the sheet from the bottom of the bed where it would automatically get clean to the top of the bed, just kind of a half a ratchet, and it would stop when it got to the top. So then the pig would get, and then he would put up a little vest on the pig that said the immaculate pig with a little red cross, a white vest. So the pig would get up in the morning, 
um, clean its environment, make its bed, and take a shower. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, just hold on to that thought. So when he was in Miami, he wanted to work with the Klan experiment. So he um, he befriended somebody that owned a um, army surplus store, and he bought many things, and his name was Lou Merland, and he was the head of the Klan, and he said, um, can you, can I come over and see the things you do, because he bought a, a lot of interesting things, and he said, sure, that's what he wanted, and uh, when he came over, he knew that the Klan was interested in guns and their dogs, and so when he came over, it, it, he had you know, little models of 3D television without glasses. He had models of the trend home that he developed out of uh, aluminum so the aircraft industries wouldn't wouldn't close. It would give them a product, and it would go together in 10 men, 8 hours. That's another story in itself. Um, Warner Brothers showed that house on their lot because they liked it so much. But anyway... Um, He'd, and he'd have all sorts of interesting things around, you know, models of the automobile he did and, and lots of – he was an industrial designer, so he had a lots of gadgets, too, that he redesigned that wouldn't wear out and break down. Of course, that didn't work too well in this culture. But um, so he, Lou was fascinated, and what Jacques did, he took his little girl – and he put her about 40 feet away, took a mirror, turned sideways, and took a gun and shot a cigarette out of his little girl's lips. And Lou said, oh, my God, you're a great shot, Jacques, but I wouldn't do that to my little girl. And Jacques said, well, you know, I've been practicing. I, I would never hurt my little girl. I have great confidence. He wouldn't do that to his little girl either. He had a blank in the gun, and he taught his little girl to roll her lips, and then the, there was a hairpin in the cigarette, and it would blow the tobacco all over when the when the gun went off. And um, but he wanted the respect of Lou, and then then mm -hmm. um, Lou said, "Can you come over to my boys and show me show my boys how you do that?" And he said, "Sure." And he um, he said, "Look, Lou, can you can you tell me what what?" knowledge you have and we can show your boys how you do what you do and he said yes i can look at a photo and i can know just what a person's like so he said great and he brought a photo and he showed it and when he went to the clan meeting and um and he asked lou what does this what is this person like and he said oh he's a god-fearing man he loves his country he served in the military and he went on and on and projected what, what they usually do into somebody else, and um, he's a family man, and and then when he was finished, Jacques pulled out the bottom, and it said, wanted by the FBI for subversive actions against the United States, and for the first time, the Klan was laughing at Lou, which wasn't good. Jacques had to defend him right away, he said, Lou knows what he's doing. He, um, he knows how to size up people, and we'll give him another chance, you know, don't laugh at him. He knows better than we do. So he said, okay, we'll, we'll bring in something next week, and we'll try this out. And he brought in a, a recording. I think it was from a sociology class or something. And it, he, it was a person who was talking in a proper Oxford English accent about aeronautical engineer, engineering. 
And Jacques said, well, tell us about this person, Lou. And Lou went on and said, he's, he's a really smart guy. He's a short guy, big, thick glasses, white hair, bald. He can really teach us things, you know. We can learn a lot from him. When he was all finished, he, the, the picture came on, and it was a black guy raised in England. And, and this was Lou's, Lou's description. He said back then, he said, Goddamn nigger, talking like an Englishman. How come? <laughs> so Jacques taught, taught him and them a bit about conditioning and said, You know, if I raise your kids in an impoverished um, Filipino family, she, they'll, your little girl will walk and talk just like the Filipino. And, um, and then he showed him the Immaculate Pig. And after that, they said, Jacques, I raised me a lot of pigs, and I don't know, I, I, none of them were that smart. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Jacques explained positive reinforcement, and, and then he began, they were interested, and then he began to read to him them little bits and explain about behaviorism and positive reinforcement, and um, then he began to give them little exercises about training their own dogs, and then they would start to come to him and say, you know, I can't do anything with my little girl. I don't want to hit her, but she doesn't listen to me. And he tried. He he went on and gave them advice on how that that works and to change their behavior. And they got interested in behaviorism and understanding that um, people are products of their environment. Um, and they would say this, this is their, Lou ended up saying this, and as I said, this is their language, not mine, but he said, you know, I can't have a, a nigger over for dinner, but I'm going to make, because of my conditioning, but I'm going to make sh damn sure that my little girl is not raised with my value system, which is huge in a couple of months. So he gave them what they were missing, not a moral lecture, because they say, oh, a goddamn nigger from the, from the north. It doesn't work. He tried that in the past. So this did work. And um, people are conditioned through their environment with certain beliefs that are not their own, but what they're experiencing and in their environment and therefore, you can change those beliefs if you know how to do it. Um, and you can't always come up to people and be straight and honest if they're not rational. Um, so that's, and he, he experimented with many things like that um, and had interesting results. Was, was that when you knew him or before you knew him? It was before I knew him, yeah. An amazing story. You know, I, I love stories like that because that gives you an indication. I mean, uh, what he did was a football field. That was just a postage stamp. But it gives you an idea of the territory and, and how he covered the territory and the kind of creative way that he had of getting around these these human objections. Uh, and I'm sure that there's many, many, many more examples of, of that kind of genius. I love that story. You know, in spite of the language, I hope everybody understands we're yeah, talking. We're talking in quotes there. Um, yes, exactly. But to, to the man to recognize that he was programmed in a certain way, and even if he was not able to overcome that programming, perhaps his daughter would. 
is an extraordinary testimony to um, what it means to engage with somebody as a human being and um, and also have a few tricks up your sleeve as well, um, which are designed to um, not to um, demean anybody, but really to trick the mind, trick the programmed mind. So we have just a few minutes left, and I wish we had a couple of hours left. Where do you see um, the work of, of uh, the Venus Project going forward now? And what do you see as perhaps the most promising um, indicators that this kind of, uh, of a vision could be realized? That's a great question. Um, we're working in many different directions. We want to expose this. We would like to get this into schools. It's really, to us, it's a whole new science. It's a whole new... Um, synthesis of a lot of work from many different disciplines that I have not seen anybody do, and this is just a very brief introduction, but we we need the help of many different people. We would like to do um, a, a, a center eventually. We're working toward that. We're working now. Jacques had over Eight, he, he, was, he wasn't a prolific writer, but he was a prolific speaker. And on all aspects of this project that he developed, and so we're transcribing over 800 lectures, audio and video lectures that, that he has. We're going to categorize them and do journals about them. And then there are many people we would like to approach in, in fields that are getting closer to what Jacques has arrived at. And we want to introduce those people to this with many of the, the, the material that we get from the, um, from the videos and audios. And uh, we really want to uh, work this up strategically and introduce this to schools as a curriculum. And also, uh, as I said, the, the transmedia project that we're working on, I'd love to make a documentary or a movie on Jacques' life because there are so many stories like that that are so visual that are such learning experiences, actually what he went through to arrive at the conclusions that he did. And um, so there, there, we have, if you go to our website, thevenusproject.com, under um, Get Involved, you'll see the many different teams we have working with many different projects to get this out to the public, and I invite people to take a look at that and then contact us if they're interested and even making another proposal if they have something else in mind. We need the help of a lot of people. Well, you know, um, that wonderful story that you told uh, about the Klan is such an indicator of what's really important these days. Um, this is, I'm sorry that we're at the end of our show. We've been talking with Roxanne Meadows about the Venus Project and Jacques Fresco. You can read more about that. You can link to the, uh, to the documentary movie that's been made uh, at our Wikipolitiki website. This is Steve Behrman, and I'll be back again next week. Thank you again, Roxanne, for being our guest. Thank you, Steve. Steve Behrman, saying goodbye. Thank you.